0: Good morning. Good morning. Would you pray with me? Father, you have revealed great and wondrous and even mysterious things to us in your word and your creation and in the life of our church. So for the things that are hard to see or the things that are difficult to understand, would you still soften our hearts? Would you open our hearts so that we can know you better? Amen. So if you're like me, then many times in your life, you've encountered John 3. And when you've read it, it's gone a little bit like this. Um, A man with a strange name comes up to Jesus, and he asks a strange question, and he receives an even stranger answer. And then there's something about Moses waving a snake around in the air. And it's all utterly baffling and confusing and foreign-sounding. Until you get to John 3.16, it's familiar, it's comforting, it makes sense, and we just move on but I want us to really settle into something that Jesus says to this man with a strange name, Nicodemus, about being born again. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And this is interesting when you think about all the different times throughout the Bible that Pharisees have come up to Jesus to trap him or to expose him as a false teacher or to trick him into something. It doesn't seem like Nicodemus comes for that reason. But what we do see is that he comes by night. Now for John, part of that is that he's saying Nicodemus doesn't want to be seen. But it's also John's way of saying that Nicodemus doesn't quite understand yet. Because Jesus is the light, but he can't see. Nicodemus has seen these signs that Jesus has done. So to this point in the book of John, those signs would be things like the miracle of Cana. Or even Jesus cleansing the temple. He's seen those signs, and so he knows something must be going on, but he still doesn't understand who Jesus is. So Jesus wants to correct him. He tells him, he's going to show him, that these signs that Jesus has done aren't just to validate the fact that he's a good teacher that's worth listening to. Those signs that Jesus has done are actually glimpses of his kingdom being established. They're things that Nicodemus can't really see. Spiritual realities underneath the things that Jesus has done that Nicodemus can't see. And he can't see them because he hasn't been born again. To see the kingdom, you must be born again. So Nicodemus asks a question that I think any of us would have asked if we were in his shoes What in the world do you mean by being born again? How can someone be born again when he's already old? Can he go back into the womb of his mother? Jesus' answer to Nicodemus might sound really strange to us. But I think for Nicodemus, there was a lot in what Jesus said that would actually ring a bunch of bells. Jesus says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, so probably one of the bells that this would have rung in Nicodemus's head, because he's a Pharisee, and he's a leader of the Pharisees, so he knows his Bible, is a passage in Ezekiel. Ezekiel's prophesying to Israel while they're in exile because of their sin, living in the middle of this punishment that God has given to them. But God says, even though you're unfaithful, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I'll give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In other words, it's this prophecy that God speaks through Ezekiel to his people to say, I know you're in exile, and you're in exile because of your disobedience, but I'm going to do this work to cleanse you, to make you new, to draw you back to me, cleanse you with water, fill you with my spirit. But it also probably rings a bell that reaches even further back. Think about the Exodus story. Israel has just left Egypt, where they've been enslaved for hundreds of years. But they're being chased by Pharaoh's armies. And while they're being chased by Pharaoh's armies, they find themselves pinned in. Armies on one side and the Red Sea on the other side. And so what does God do? He sends a wind. In Hebrew and in Greek, the word for wind and spirit are the same. So we're meant to hear in this wind echoes of God's spirit. He sends a wind, spirit, and it parts the waters. It parts the sea, and it lets them pass through. So by the work of this spirit or this wind, Israel passes through the water. And when they pass through, they leave behind their slavery in Egypt and they walk into this new life as Israel, the people of God. As they pass through the water, they leave slavery and walk into this new freedom because they've been made new. And there's one other really big bell that I think it would have rung in Nicodemus's mind. Go all the way back to Genesis 1. Creation. When the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. So when Jesus says you have to be born again of water and of spirit, He's talking about the spiritual, complete rebirth as a new creation, spirit, and water. A complete rebirth, not just a physical one, not just a reboot, but a rebirth of the spirit. That's why he says in the next verse, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And this rebirth, Jesus is saying, you're not just starting over. You're exchanging something. You're exchanging this dying fleshly life that you've received from Adam for something far, far greater, right? Because being born into human flesh means being brought into this life of sin and ultimately death. It's what the human race has faced ever since Adam and Eve sinned and were kicked out of the garden. But if that's the kind of life that you receive when you're born of the flesh, to be born of the Spirit means that you receive the life of the Spirit. It means being reborn into everlasting life because it's God's life. That's the eternal life he's talking about in John 3.16. Now the church fathers, all the ones who preached on this and who commented on this, unanimous, that when Jesus talks about water and spirit, he is pointing us towards something that is familiar to us, baptism. This rebirth and water and spirit points us to baptism. So just like when Israel went into the Red Sea as slaves and then came out as the free people of God, Jesus says that whoever believes in him receives eternal life because they go through the waters of baptism by faith and repentance. And they come out made new. They come out washed by water, but washed by the Spirit. They come out with this new life. Paul says this in Romans 6. In baptism, all who are baptized are buried in Christ's death and then rise in his resurrection life. You want to think about it again in terms of Israel and the Exodus? Our slavery to sin and death dies when Jesus dies. And in baptism, it's washed away. And just like Israel comes out on the other side and made new, now set free from slavery, so do we. This is what happens when we go through those waters and come out the other side. Now, I think when we hear those things, we can all really empathize with Nicodemus, who responds by saying, how can these things be? I don't think Nicodemus is saying that because it sounds foreign and alien. He's saying it because it sounds too good to be true. Because Jesus has revealed a mystery to him that is almost too much to fathom. Like the kind of thing that you wouldn't be able to say out loud unless God had told you to say it first. And that's why Jesus says what he says here. The wind blows where it wishes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. He's basically saying, I know that you can't see what I'm talking about any more than you can see the wind itself. And I know that that makes it hard to understand. But I'm telling you what you would be able to see if you could sit at the right hand of God, if you could sit at the heavenly places, and if you could look down and see these spiritual realities that you can't see or touch or hear or feel. In other words, I'm telling you what's true even if you can't see it. You have to trust me because I've been where you have never been. I think because we are so much like Nicodemus, this is so difficult for us to grasp. It's almost too profound or too good to be true. This is one of the reasons why baptism is such a gift for us. We can't see the wind. We also can't see ourselves being united with Christ in death and resurrection. We can't see ourselves being cleansed by his blood. We can't see ourselves being raised with Jesus into new and everlasting life. But in baptism, those spiritual realities that we can't see, break into our physical world. So even if you can't see all of those things, you can see what we're going to see in just a few minutes. You can see physically the spiritual things that God is doing. Now, it's not just that this water becomes magicified by by Stephen when he does things and says things. It's not magic water, magic physical water that changes something spiritually. But what God is telling us is that God's grace is pulsing through that water So that the water that God has made, this physical stuff, through that, he takes the physical washing of water and the spiritual washing of the spirit, and he makes them the same. We get to see physically what is happening spiritually. God shows himself to us in a beautiful way. Again, it's the kind of thing that feels like you shouldn't be able to say out loud. That we die with Jesus, but we rise from the dead with him. That we are washed all the way down to our core the kind of thing that we really could only say if God said it first. Because it really is a mystery that feels too good to be true. And so for that reason, I think we really do all know what it's like to be Nicodemus. To be searching for something in the middle of the night, to be searching for something in the dark, even when God himself is right in front of us and we can't see We feel like Nicodemus when we're not able to see the things that God has said he's done. When we can't see the things that God is doing. When we can't see the promises that lie ahead, even though they've been given. Even when we have these signs, just like Nicodemus, we still struggle to see. Like Nicodemus, we have to be reminded constantly of the things that are true. Especially the things that are true that we can't necessarily see. And so today, let this baptism be a reminder for you. A reminder of the things that are true. A reminder of the things that seem too good to be true. A reminder of the things that you can't necessarily see. And a reminder of the spiritual realities that are underneath the things that you can see. Things that we struggle to grasp and comprehend and to put into words, but things that Jesus and the Spirit both testify are true. So let this baptism remind you that for those times when you feel enslaved to your desires or to temptations, to lusts or weaknesses or fear, let it remind you that you have been washed by water and the Spirit. And because you have been in Christ, you are set free from sin and death. That slavery is gone, just like Israel's. Is. Let it remind you that in those times when you feel trapped by stresses or worries, by the anxieties that bind you and hold you down. Let it remind you that with Christ, you have already passed through the worst that this world has to offer, and you have risen on the other side. Let it remind you in those times when you feel like you have no place or no home, let it remind you that you came out of that water as sons and daughters of the Father. In Christ, you have received something that you could never earn. You inherit what he inherits. Let it remind you of that. And remember that you too were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's Trinity Sunday. And that triune God is still for you. Do you see the ways that the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are invested in the salvation of his church? Can you remember that the Father or that the that the Son and the Spirit are both interceding for you before the Father, and the Father is glad to hear that intercession. God is for his church. The God in whose name you are baptized is for his church, invested in your salvation. Let this baptism remind you that he is for you. Amen.